We go from one guest uh, straight to another. Uh, delighted <coughs> to welcome back again this morning, Senator Timmy Dooley. Uh, Timmy, you're very you're welcome. Thanks very much, Jim and John. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last day I was here, I kept calling John, Jim, and yeah. Jim. <laughs> and you, did, you wouldn't know me. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have good reason to know both of you. <laughs> no, I tell you the, the reason, and, and it's not that long since you were here, but uh, we we asked you to come in there some weeks ago uh, because we maybe six weeks ago because we were we were reading. I remember reading on the Clare Echo what you had talked about in terms of wind energy in, in, and the potential and the possibilities uh, for wind energy, particularly off the, the Clare Coast, which most of us would be, you know, would have a great interest in. Um, but since then, uh, you held a, a forum, uh, an energy forum in Glore. What was it? Was it a week ago or two weeks two ago? Weeks, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Pat O'Brien and myself attended and we attended all the uh, the presentations there, and um, I'll have to say we were very impressed. You were indeed, uh, because it it was you know it just opened our eyes, I suppose, in terms of what the potential was and what the current position is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would imagine. Now we Pat spoke to you after mm. the after the, the right. forum, and uh, what are your thoughts now, two weeks on? Yeah, so I mean, the, the purpose behind it was very much from talking to people just generally in Clare that. Did, you know, knew that there was some potential there and they didn't know that much about it. Um, and that's often the case. You know, the public don't become aware of kind of big, important opportunities until they're, they're operational. But I was also conscious that there were people in business in the region who could benefit from this and who, if they had knowledge of the opportunities, could start tooling up, for the want of a better word, or start looking at how their business might be able to... Um, you know, get a hold of some of this opportunity I- into the future. So it was kind of aimed at at business, um, and also then to to give an opportunity to some of the really big companies in Europe and wider afield to come to Ennis and see what the ultimate opportunity is there as well, and meet with some local businesses and sort of connect people. Mm-hmm. So it was about it was about pulling all of that together, and the feedback that I've got from those that participated that came from outside the country um, were very happy. They, they certainly see the opportunity that exists into the future. And some of the local companies that, that met with these big players felt that they now have contacts um, and they can play a meaningful role in the capture of um, the wind off, off offshore uh, to generate electricity for the future. Timmy, could yeah. I just come in there? The <coughs> we have covered in radio quite uh, frequently wind energy and solar energy mm. and we're constantly preaching the, mm. the prayer you know um, but you, your conference got us thinking on the one hand energy, uh, wind energy on land mm. is causing some distress a lot yeah. And you'd say a lot, a lot, would you? I wouldn't know. It has increased. You see, when 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 the first wave of wind farms started, they were in pretty isolated areas. Yes. You know, we had Derry Brine, and that's a whole other story. But they were usually high on the hills where there were very few people living close by. So a lot of those, what might be referred to as the easy sites, yes. have been developed. Um, but there's, there's a, a continuing demand for green energy because we need to move away from oil and gas and coal. So there has been... 
an effort made to develop other areas that, that has good wind. But every time you do that, you're getting closer and closer to where people live. And there's a very significant pushback from people, rightly or wrongly. Some people have no issue with it. Some people have a real a real kind of antipathy towards it. And, and people have to be respected and they have to go through the process. So what you, what you then have is objections to planning, goes to board Planala, might or might not get passed. And if it doesn't, if it, if it gets passed and some people aren't happy with it, it goes to a judicial review in the courts. So it's taken much longer for, you know, to get this electricity. Yes. And people have to be given the right to object if they so wish. So that's the other sort of positive in this, in that the more of it you can push offshore further into the Atlantic where it's not seen, that benefits communities. Now, that, does, that comes at a price because it's early stage. And like anything, you know, the first motorcar that came out was very expensive by comparisons to what a car might be today. So anytime there's new technology being developed and you have to develop the know-how to capture the wind further into the Atlantic with all those conditions, that, those early stage projects are very expensive. And the argument that I've been making and others is we need to get in the game. So we need to get a demonstrator project um, that might be that, that that won't capture wind commercially. You, you what would that look like? Let's say to our listeners. Yeah, morning. so so that's probably forty or fifty wind turbines out thirty kilometres off the coast of Dunbeg. That leave below the horizon. Below the horizon or very close to the horizon, but they'll be floating because once you go about I'd say twelve fifteen kilometres off the west coast, it gets very deep. So you can't tether that. You can't put them on, on, the, on, on the, the, the seashore, which they do along the east coast. There's, there's wind turbines off Arklow. There's proposals to do more off Wexford. But there's shallow sandbanks out there. So that they they, they're embedded in the seabed. They're embedded, yeah. So they, they, like they, through particular equipment, they're able to pour concrete onto the, the seashore. They're able to connect, you know, uh, the wind turbines, and they come out of the water, and they capture, they capture the wind, and they bring electricity ashore. Off West Clare, you have that very sharp shelf that drops, um, and you won't be able to put the base of the, the wind turbine on the floor of the sea. So you have to develop a floating platform, which is similar to what happens up in the North Sea with the oil rigs. Yeah. So when you see those oil rigs with those large masts coming out of them, the bulk of those actually float. Um, and it's that kind of structure um, that's being developed. Th- th- there are some kind of early stage pilot projects up in Scotland some in Norway and in Portugal. Am I right in saying that we're involved in the uh, Scottish? The ESB has a, a passive, a shareholding mm. in the company that's doing it, and that will be beneficial too because as shareholders they'll be getting information and statistics and experience. experience. Yeah. And that's really what it's about, and that's the idea of having this sort of demonstrator project in the early stages because you develop the experience. Mm. Um, and the benefit of that, and I think we maybe talked about this the last day, if you're if you're coming to the game when everybody else has figured out how to do it, you're not getting any additional jobs because the companies that have done the early stage development are now based in Scotland or Portugal or wherever. Mm. And unless we can get that kind of early stage investment and early stage engineering mm. in Clare, the likelihood is that by the time we get around to developing the main wind farms, they'll just tow the stuff in from somewhere else. We won't have that knowledge and know-how. Mm. I mean, you look at what, say, the chipboard factory did for Scarif, quite apart from the number of people that worked in it, but all the little small engineering companies that mm. develop skills dealing with yeah. that large-scale stuff, that use that engineering know-how then to do other things. So mm, they, yes. they, they started little businesses out of it because they were there when there wasn't another chipboard factory in mm. Ireland. 
and they developed skills that maintained ancillary jobs. So why, why? and I know mm. this has been spoken about mm. on the hillsides, Jim, around. They're saying, uh, why are we talking about uh, this? Why aren't we doing? Yeah, and it's slow because there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to the jigsaw. The first thing that has to be done before you start exploring the sea from an environmental perspective, you have to designate certain areas that, that, that need to be designated for marine protection. And it's probably a little bit like we've learned a lot from how we've used our land over the years. You know, we encouraged farmers years ago to reclaim the land, drain every field. Yes. And we know that... Knock the ditches. Knock the ditches. <laughs> and then, you know, at some point afterwards, we discovered, well, what has that done... Uh, in terms of biodiversity what has it done to loss of not just plant life but bird life which are all part of an ecosystem which are really important to protect our air our atmosphere and all of that so we've learned from that that has to be done at sea as well because sea life um, is immensely important too to our our, 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 our environmental uh, situation so we're coming to this relatively late some countries have already developed their protected areas so we've started a plan around that. We're doing some work off the south coast at the minute, then moving to the southeast. Um, so that's the first thing that has to be done to designate those areas. That's demapping. Demapping. So that's designated marine protection areas, um, and it's identifying areas that are fundamental for aquatic life, um, uh, and that need to be protected. Mm. At the conference mm. that you brought to Glore, mm. you know, a few people. I remember the the chair of the. Um, task force, the yeah. task for the estuary task mm. force. He was very strong mm. on that, and and some one or two people who were asked, now, what would you like to see straight away? Mm. And all of them stopped the demapping. Yeah. That's the that's the critical piece. And interestingly enough, whilst that sounds, um, you know, John has always been get it done, get it done, get it done, and, and absolutely, what we have a shortage of is people with the skills to do that. I think there's one woman who works in Clare County Council. At, you know, a, a wonderful planner, well, they all are, but she has particularly skills in this area, so that can be helpful, and there are a number of other within government departments, so it's not always, because it's it's a kind of a, um, a new requirement or a relatively new requirement, we don't have people, there, there's not an abundance of people in Ireland that are skilled in that area. There are in other countries, but they're very sought after yeah. because yes. of this new interest in um, developing offshore activity. You see, prior to this um, marine pr- protection was more f- ecological environmental it was nice thing to do with 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 not necessarily with a specific purpose other than protecting the marine environment now it has to be done because there's something on the other end of it there's a resource that that can provide clean energy can provide mm-hmm. jobs so the the demand and the investment money is now there mm-hmm. uh, to drive it on well, it, you mentioned the southeast mm. um, we have talked here about the south east and that part of the country seems to get a lot of attention while the poor mm. uh, so-and-so's above in Kilkee and Kilrush mm. and the northeast of Clare yeah and, and that's the challenge for us to fight for, for it but yeah. in this instance because um, fixed what's called fixed bottom where they can fix the turbine onto the sea the seabed um that technology is well developed now, so it's relatively cheap by comparisons. So, so they have a, a shallow uh, area of seabed that they can attach the turbines to. So 
that's a no-brainer. They just need to get their demapping done, get that protected areas, and put them in the put them in the on the seabed, and bring the 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 the, the wires ashore effectively. Um, the floating stuff is extremely expensive at the minute, and you don't have that critical mass of production of the of of all the, the parts that go with it to a point that it's commercially viable. So it's not commercially viable at the moment. Um, but what we need to do is start building pi- a pilot project. Yes. That doesn't necessarily generate electricity commercially today, but by 2030, because of all the developments that are happening and all the the opportunities around the world, there will be much greater demand for what's what's manufactured. Yeah. And it can be manufactured en masse then, mm-hmm. so that it does become commercial. But the point I keep making is, when it becomes commercial, everybody is doing it, and we won't get, whilst we'll get the clean energy and we'll get some of the spin-off jobs, we won't get the core of developing the new technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where... That's where you get to hold on to a business for a lot longer. I know it, it was brought out at the conference, you know, in several different strands of the conference, the suitability of uh, West Clare and particularly the Shannon Estuary mm. to do this in terms of, okay, the, the high tension lines are in place and they're all aimed at money point. Mm. And money point is there and the possibility of adapting that. Mm. But, I mean, the other things that were talked about particularly, you know, and there were various charts and maps which showed the p- potential we'll say for uh, you can't store so easily this so uh, turning it into hydrogen and storing that and also the idea of even manufacturing the uh, the windmills mm. in the Shannon estuary and and towing them out mm. the possibilities for all that industry because of the deep water mm. port that is there and um, it, it would be hugely beneficial yeah. to, particularly the Midwest. Yeah, like there's, there's huge opportunities. So the first thing that will have to happen is that Money Point will have to build, and I met them again yesterday at the ESB, they'll be putting a planning, a planning application in shortly just to, to repurpose the jetty back there. So it's very deep water, but obviously you need, a, you need effectively a port. So they'll be turning the jetty where yes. the boat used to pull up with the coal, and use a conveyor to take it off. They're now going to redevelop that completely into a, a effectively a working port with boats coming and going all the time with equipment. Um, and the same in fines. Um, so there's going to be huge investment going in there just in port infrastructure upgrade and development. That involves a lot of uh, employment. Um, I st- I'd say more so than the wind turbines ever being built back there because I think there are other countries that are very good at that and I think that will continue. But it's the... It's the floating platforms that the turbines will sit on that are in early stage of development. And I think that's where there will be a huge amount of work because you're talking about, you know, potentially a couple of thousand of these floating in in the Atlantic at some point. And they're mainly concrete bases with, you know, certain with certain properties that that allows them to float with certain buoyancy uh, internally. Um, like I've seen some of the the ones that are already being used, but there are there are others that can be used that are that are in development, um, in research and development at the minute. And they're, these are massive structures, like they're massive, um, and that does need port. It needs a sheltered area in the estuary because some of this stuff will be floating near shore for some time as it's manufactured. It's rolled out into the water. It's it floats there, and then the turbine is built, actually in the water, in in deep water but also sheltered. And then 
right conditions, it gets towed out. So you 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 the potential to see some real activity there, and you you'll see people travelling from not just the east of Clare to work in West Clare, but much further afield. Um, because of the demands and the kind of skills and, and the, the volume of people that, that, that will be needed. And then there's ongoing work, unlike the old wind turbines that are sitting on the hills. Once they're there, they're pretty much there, maybe some engineering or software upgrades or whatever, but they, they don't need much maintenance. The floating ones will, because of the kind of conditions that they're in out there, they're getting battered and beaten every day. So like they even envisage towing them back in for repair, yes, and out so so there's there's the potential for long term maintenance on a wind farm of that size, and then you talked about you know converting the electricity into hydrogen. There's a big push across Europe at the minute to look to hydrogen as a as as a liquid fuel of the future. Like when we move away from petrol and diesel, there's a lot of research and, and development work going on to make hydrogen. I mean, it was always considered very explosive and very volatile, but in certain conditions now that can be contained and managed could i interrupt you there you we we've noted uh, that in the media uh, you seem to be you know deeply involved in this project and um i i i have a note i'd made there for myself who has the power to actually push this project to yeah, forward. so, so it's, it's a mixture of everything, really. It's, it's about local authority, in the first instance, working with early-stage investors to meet their expectations and needs, to say, you know, yeah, we look very favourably on you if you come forward with a planning application to repurpose Money Point. Um, it's the government putting in place the kind of policies around the demapping um, that will see those areas designated um, and the appropriate work done on that. It's the government through the foreshore license to make sure that they process applications quickly. So there's a lot of veins. And they ha- at, the, at the end of the day, you're all the time working with big investment companies because at the end of the day, the quantum of money required for this to happen is... Massive. Ma- it's colossal. It's beyond mm. what any of us would ever... But it is a, 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 it's a, it's a... What's the word? It's a collaboration of, 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 of people that have a common interest, that see an opportunity yeah. and believe in it. Um, and, and like there is, I mean, s- some of the companies that were represented at the forum are companies with that kind of financial wherewithal. Mm. Um, they're usually big investment companies. You have, you know, Amazon were represented, Google were there, the people from Facebook and Meta, they were there because what, what they see is the importance of green energy they see their futures in data centers. Um, if they're controllers of data, they use electricity, they recognize that people don't, don't want to be generating electricity with harmful fossil fuels anymore. Mm-hmm. So if their business are to grow, the, the electricity has to be clean and green or, or hydrogen or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're really active in this uh, and money's not a problem for any of those big companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they report profits at the end of the years it's it's getting close to a trillion mm-hmm. rather than rather than millions, millions and bi- rather than millions and billions so, so who actually because I, i'm conscious uh, that there are people listening to the yeah. program this morning who's, and who's going to deliver this who's going to deliver yeah. it, or when will we stop uh, excessive talking yeah well the the, the exa- in my view the the talking has to continue because in order to continue to support the people who are making it happen. So, like, the ESB have put their money where their mouths are. 
Can you explain so, that? So, so, so they have a proposal in place to build two wind farms off the West Clare coast. And that was the first presentation, uh, well, the first presentation of the conversation with the commissioner and then with a, a, conver- a, conver- or a presentation from um, Sean Hegarty from the ESB who's involved in the whole decarbonisation of the generation of electricity. And then Jim Dollard was, was also present the night before. And they, they have a plan to build a wind farm in the Atlantic. Now, there were a number of other companies there on the day who are private investment, who are equally interested, and they have plans to do the same. But the ESB have boots on the ground. They're going through all the permission requests, the planning proposals, um, and they have a very nice presentation done as to what Money Point will look like step by step by step over the next five years as they get their planning permission to change uh, the use of the facility all the time using oil as a backup until they get the the wind turbines out there but they have a very clear plan and they're working to it and now other things have to happen along the way but to me as the esb drive ahead others will gain the benefit of what the esb have done in terms of getting permissions getting licenses uh, progressed um and i mean they have the the state behind it as a shareholder um, and they're obviously a, a strong advocate within the state mechanism to get the kind of changes in policy that are needed the people you're talking about I'm wondering are they uh, are they are they being kept up at night uh, if you know what I mean you'd hope they would be yes yes <laughs> yeah I, I think they are they're exceptionally committed people I mean the, the ESB is one of the finest companies that, that we have as a semi-state um you know, it's a bit like the the Arienta of its day. Um, they they've invested and in in so many other projects around the world, and using their their engineers, they have a, a, an outfit called ESB International. It was like the the old Arienta International, International. You know, they went yeah. to Russia and went to yes. the Eastern Europe and yes. built built uh, all that they did. So the ESB International have a, have a very. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's a young woman from Scarif. If she's not if she's not with the ESB International, she certainly was. Daughter James O'Brien's, yes, uh, yes, yes, was a wonderful engineer. But she was with the ESB, and she may still well be. Yes. Um, so you know they have huge expertise uh, overseas. So when ESB get behind something, they have the wherewithal to do it, and and that's why I have real confidence um, in their ability to deliver this. But they will need the support of government along the way and changes to policy. And that's why I kind of wanted and to pull it all together in in things so that people saw that you had a real you had a real project. It, yeah. it wasn't just Jimmy Dooley or whoever talking about an idea that there were actually there's 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 brains sitting around the table together that are advancing this opportunity every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we'd like to hear, isn't mm-hmm. that? And I, I suppose you know, looking at the way things are going and we the, the decarbonisation, yeah. uh, it's it's something that is going to happen, and it's something that works. Yeah, and it's not okay. You know, more expertise and more practice will ensure that it's better and yeah, more efficient. That's it. But it, but it's not a leap in the dark. No, as much as maybe another project no. would be. No, and it's like the it's like the wind turbines when they came first. People said that they'll never take off. Others said, "Sure, this is the way forward." And it's taken time. Um, even you look at say the the take up of electric cars at the minute. Um, you know, they've they've hit a bit of a blip in the road because the resale value isn't great, and they're very expensive. They're very expensive, but they're they're getting cheaper. But the one sure thing is that all countries across Europe have decided by twenty thirty five that there will be no petrol or diesel cars sold uh, in 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 Europe. So as sure as night follows day, that's going to drive the car manufacturing, 
uh, to force them to be a little bit cheaper, but it's also going to improve the resale value. Um, because if you know by 2030 that your diesel petrol car is, you know, yeah. going away, yeah. um, the resale value of the petrol and diesel car will will reduce, and the electric car will will, will change. So, okay. you, you can see you can see that happening. Um, people are people are, are moving more. I, like I see the amount of solar panels now. So when solar panels started first, they were prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the pace, case of about five years, because of the ramping up production in in China, the drop by seventy percent. In so price. in price, mm. just the, the glass panels alone, and they were much more efficient. They, uh, the, there's much greater output of electricity for them. So one time it was, just to take you 10 years to get your money back on solar panels. So very few people would have had that kind of money to say, well, I'll pay it back over 10 years or whatever. Now I think it's maybe three years. And if you're a fairly significant electricity user, much quicker. Mm. So it's a no-brainer for, for a lot of people, which is why yeah. you see... So um, many so many uh, solar panels on roofs. Mm. People do their own sums, and there's one thing good about Irish people, they understand how to save a quid, <laughs> and they don't do... The odd one will do something cracked and put something crazy up, but most people, when you see it, when you see it being taken up by so many people, then you, you know that there's, they see value in it, that they're not just following a pipe dream. Are you satisfied at the rate of progress on the project? Sure, look, I, I'm never satisfied with the rate of progress. I'd always You're be pushing to get something. Are you, are you in the category of sleepless nights thinking well, about well, well, the next day? <laughs> not just about that, but I'm in the category of sleepless nights. I, I wake about four o'clock in the morning and, uh, and the old brain is ticking away after that. But um, like, you, you can never, like anything, you can never sit back. And that's why you're always sort of ambitious to see things moving and keep pushing it on. Um, so that's why if it's one of those things for me that I keep raising it, I keep talking about it, I keep trying to... And rather than just standing up in the Senate and bitching and moaning about who hasn't done what, I thought that conference was a way to bring people together who maybe some were starting to lose confidence or faith, particularly from a local level back there, to say, will this ever happen? Because mm-hmm. it was announced... The, the, the plan was announced about two years ago. But there's a lot, a, a lot has happened since in terms of the work that the e- ESB have been doing in their planning and connections and that kind of thing. Um, so, so you'd always like to see things moving and always, you know, any long-term project, there can be a bit of slippage. There but is a model, a model there for you uh, drawing on the, the 1960s and uh, late 50s and 60s with the arrival on the scene of Sean Navas. Yeah. And committed to a particular objective, okay, mm. and he'll be forever remembered. He will in the history books, yeah, uh, and the era of his presence will will be there. Yeah, it seems to me that it's like the it's a bit like that. Yeah, at the moment, it is like I mean, Sean Lemass was of his time, and he had a can-do attitude. The, the issue that we had back then was we, we, we had an inward-looking approach. We kind of thought anything that developed in a major way, that was for somebody else. Um, and we were just trudling along, principally an agriculture-based country. Economy-based. Economy-based, no real money in its sufficiency, yeah. and no way of upping a gear mm. and not into borrowing money. Uh, Lamas looked at it a bit differently and opened it up and saw the opportunities about being brave and bold and going out and looking at exports and, you know, develop, in, in bringing in inward investment 
um, to develop our you know the, our, our own workforce here and kind of not industrialize we did because we didn't have the heavy industry but we, we started developing the lighter industries Indeed. and stuff like that um, at the time there was n- there were no constraints other than the mindset and, and, and access to monies and and he opened up that because he looked at enterprise and it'd been good to want to make money mm. whereas we were looking at survival, existence. Yes. Before that. Where you have here now, I suppose, the big issue is we have all of that know-how about investment. Attra- we've been very good at attracting foreign investment and you have all these companies. The impediment now is environmental protection um, and allowing people opportunities to have their say and not move too far ahead. And like you could never say, based on what we have learned, that those constraints could be shoved aside. They weren't constraints in the past. So when you wanted to build Money Point, like, it was a straightforward thing to do because the country needed electricity. Mm. Was there going to be pollution? Yeah, sure, there's plenty of pollution. Sure, what, 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 yeah. what, harm, will an- what harm will another bit of it be? <laughs> yeah. But sure, we need electricity and we need people to work and we need jobs to drive yeah. it on. You now have full employment, a necessity to decarbonise and move towards more sustainable um electricity and more sustainable environmental practices and and that's the big impediment so i think what you're asking me in a roundabout way is there somebody or something that could make this happen really fast and not not as you did in the past because the big impediment is that every step you take because it is being driven by a desire to decarbonize and improve our whole environmental space that you don't trample on the other aspects of of the environment such as that whole whole old map and stuff and you know where it where, where it ultimately goes, but um, yeah, that's where it's at. Listen, the clock has beaten us, Timmy. Um, oh, we're delighted to you know to have your input into that because uh, when we were there in Glore a couple of weeks ago, we recorded the whole thing, so we're we're putting it out in a number of episodes starting Great. tomorrow at one o'clock. Great. With your conversation with the commissioner, that okay. Made the first Good. thing. So we'll do each presentation over the next number of weeks oh, so our listeners yeah. will be able to um, you know listen to hear, hear the experts as opposed to the the, the, the political stuff yeah. well I mean the politi- yeah. it's all it all comes together yeah. doesn't it yeah it's well, all, all part of the same yeah. okay Timmy Dooley many thanks for joining us no, this morning thanks John and Jim again thank no, you and we'll be a bit patriotic we'll play Ireland's call <laughs> <So>. excellent <laughs> thanks Timmy not at all <laughs>